the last time that I spoke to you on a Sunday night, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess, before I started my uh, traveling around, um, we began a study in the book of Ecclesiastes. We talked about in the introduction of what the book was about and uh, the different things and writer and, and all these things that uh, we culminated together to, to give us an understanding uh, of the book. And we looked at the outline of the book. And you remember in verse 3, we talked about all is vanity. And we talked about all the material things in this world is just, is just uh, vanity, isn't it? Um, it? It's almost as an emptiness. Oh, of course, they have value to us, don't they? Uh, we pay for them, and we say, well, I, I paid that, and, and that's the value it has, and some things may have sentimental value. I'm a very sentimental person. Uh, I have things that, uh, from my parents and my grandparents and grandparents before that, 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 have a, that money can't buy, doesn't have a value. But you know what? In the end of the world, at the end of when the Lord comes back, all those things are going to do what? Be burned up, aren't they? It's all going to be gone. And really, they have really no value. There's, no, there, there's emptiness uh, in those things. We talked about the consistency of this world. Uh, as we talked a little bit last, uh, last time we met about the generations to come. And in verse 4 of chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, uh, we're all going to die unless what? The Lord comes back. You know, that we're all going to die. Hebrews 9 and verse 27 says, It appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. And, you know, uh, that's going to, every person here is going to meet that, except lest the Lord returns uh, before we should uh, pass away from this life. But again, the consistency, the earth abides forever. In chapter 4 and verse 3 through 7, <clears throat> talks about that. And that's where we're going to be again our study tonight, in verse 7 there, in the thought of, as it says, all the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. Just prior to that, we talked about the sun rises and sets, and it continues its circuit, doesn't it? so close that we can take and set time to when the sun is going to go down and when the sun is going to rise. Those things, talking about the consistency of the world, those things are consistent, aren't they? Always say, Lord's willing, tomorrow. Because it's the Lord's will if we should have tomorrow, isn't it? Tomorrow is not promised. Every day when I get up early and I start my bus route, the sun is coming up and it's starting to break and getting daylight and this, that, and other. And I thank the Lord for the day that he has created because he creates every day, doesn't he? You know, I think that we need to look at things like that. Sometimes we think those things, take those things for granted, don't we? That the Lord created, he created today. He created it the way he wanted it to be today. And, of course, Ecclesiastes is all about the meaning of life, isn't it? The meaning of life. 
But then we talked about the wind goes toward the south and all the consistency of those things. But all the rivers in verse 7 run into the sea, but yet the sea is not full. You see, this is the general rule. Lakes and oceans generally maintain their boundaries unless there is some extreme event. And even then, they typically return back to their boundaries. <clears throat> if you will, go with me to the book of Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 1, in verses 9 and 10, notice what the Bible says to us there. Genesis chapter 1, in verse 9 and 10. Now we know up to this point in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Young people, do not let our world distort your thinking on that. God created this earth. It did not come into existence from some big bang or two matters coming together and exploding. It did not do that. God spoke this earth into existence. And do not allow, again, the world to distort your uh, knowledge on those things. But notice there, <clears throat> excuse me, <coughs> in verse 9. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and what? It was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. You see, and that's good stuff. The Lord spoke, and our God at that point referred to his Lord, spoke the earth into existence. He gathered the seas and the rivers together. They were all flowing with no direction, really, you could say. But he put boundaries around those things. And as we see there in the book of Job in 38, when you flip there and look in verses 8 through 11, where God is questioning Job there about matters he does not understand. He says, or who shut up in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds in garment and thick darkness and swaddling bond or band. And when I fixed my limit forward and set bars and doors, when I said this far you may come, but no further and here your proud waves must stop. As one version puts it. You see, one source uh, in this study that uh, I've looked at and, and, and read about and listened to referred to the Dead Sea, which receives waters, if you remember, from the Jordan. But what about the Dead Sea? It doesn't have what? It doesn't have an outlet, does it? Yet, but it has what? Boundaries. Psalms 33 and verses 6 through 9 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He spoke all these things into existence. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he lays up the deep in storehouses. 
Let all the earth fear the Lord. And let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Psalms 33 and 6 through 9. You see, even with our meteorologists today, we now understand how the evaporation process works and how it carries water uh, and produces the cycle of watering the earth. And what the book of Ecclesiastes is saying, all these things happen day in and day out in consistency. So there is, is a sense, really, when you look at nature... We used to say sometimes, man, this is as boring as watching dirt grow. You ever heard that one? Did I hear that one up here in Tennessee? Y'all didn't, that's an Alabama thing then. I <laughs> got one on you. <laughs> got one on you. We used to say, man, that is boring as watching dirt grow. Because grow, dirt don't what? Dirt, dirt. <laughs> dirt don't what? Grow, does it? No. So it's pretty boring. Sometimes as we look at nature, we say, man, it's boring because we really don't see anything going on really sometimes. Because it's over a continuous process that God has allowed and put in place for here while we are here living upon this earth. But we take for granted these processes you and I, as human beings, we take for granted these processes will continue to happen. The water cycle process. The process of photosynthesis. The process that creates the oxygen in which we breathe. You think about all those processes that, that God has put into place and how the body takes the oxygen in and, and brings it out and and, and, and how it's broken down and used in our bodies. You see, all of these processes, just like the rivers have boundaries and the water cycle and all these things, God has put these things into place, and God continues the cycle of those things. How blessed we are. But here's a thought. <clears throat> If the, in this we find consistency, consider this in light of the arguments for general evolution. For example, an amoeba to a man. You know, as I've studied these different topics and things, one thing that I have considered and, and, and looked at is the problems of beginning with the atheistic evolution of what they call naturalism. It's ironic how the evolutionists will appeal to the consistency or the constancy of the laws of nature, and that's what really science is all about. They'll appeal to those constant things and those consistent things that we see in, 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 uh, in our science while saying that we evolved or changed forms through chance or accidents or mutations, if you will, a catastrophe, uh, even a uh, uh, catastrophe, rather, even when everything about consistency contradicts their theory. Go with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. And if you being a student of the Bible, you know where we're going with this. You know what this uh, scripture says. 
But notice what the people in Rome were doing as Paul was there and he was writing this. Let's start in verse 20. Well, let's start in verse 19. Because that which we may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that we are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations or reasonings, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be what? Wise, they became fools. And you can read on and see the ugliness and the inconsistency of their beliefs in God and things as you, and the way God put things into order. But as you see, his invisible attributes are clearly seen in these processes that we're talking about tonight. Being understood by the things that are made, even his internal power and Godhead. And even today, people still do not acknowledge there is a God with all, when we can look around and see all the intricacies of all these processes. I often refer to the human eye. The human eye is a complex organ, isn't it? You know, you've always said what you're seeing right now is actually being replayed on a screen inside the eye. It's a reflection back to what you're seeing. You know, you look at, at the stars. The light that you're seeing from stars was years and years and years ago. Think about that. That doesn't happen by chance, does it? I don't think it does. It doesn't make sense, does it? But again, Psalms 14 and 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Another thought, we also find the power of God to sustain us, and we must never forget this. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 5 through 7, Peter makes this observation here. He tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. He will exalt you. He will lift you up. But watch the whole thing Ecclesiastes is going to end with. Fear God and what? Keep his commandments. This is the whole matter. This is the whole conclusion. This is what you're, you've got to do in life. Don't put your trust in other things. Don't put your trust in this vanity of the world. <clears throat> you see, people tend to forget God. They tend to forget that God spoke this world into existence. And let me tell you this, this afternoon that God is in control. He's in control. I told you that this morning in our lesson. God in the end is going to win. Period. He's going to win. No matter how bleak it may be. But the power of God sustains us. Think of examples of our text. 
We need the sun to rise and to set, don't we? At the place it does. Too much more, either way, we understand that it would be so cold we couldn't stand it or we'd burn up. You see, that's not my chance. You see, it's, it's important. This place would be in, un, uninhabitable. Wind, we talked about the wind in our text in, earlier on, and, and it's for cooling and heating the earth. The rivers, <clears throat> even though they have boundaries, provided water which sustains our life. You see, God has made these things uh, so. And just as you and I can depend upon consistency of nature, let me tell you tonight, we can depend on him. If he can sustain this boring process, if you will, of nature, he can do for us what he has promised. Yet how many take him for granted. And let us not forget this afternoon, let us not forget to apply these things to his word as well. Fear God and depend upon him. 1 Peter 5 and verse 6. All things are full of labor. You see, we, we, we depend upon God. In verse 8 of Ecclesiastes. All things are full of labor. Wearisome. For us to survive this world, we have to work at it. What does the Bible say? We often record it. Man doesn't work, shouldn't eat. You see, that's the rule of God. Unlike what? Our country today. <laughs> you don't have to work to eat. But we have to work at it. Each of us individually and as, as a whole, there are things we have to do. Life is more about routine that, that, uh, that uh, we, we do every day. And hopefully we live and serve God. Continuing there in verse 8, man cannot express it. We're incapable of putting into words how futile things are at times. He talks about the eye there in this scripture and the ear is not filled, a description of it never be enough. This is not just about really about being content, if you will. But it's an observation. Even when we see something beautiful, we want to see it again or more of the same. When we hear something beautiful, we want to hear it again. You see, I can ask the question and I ask it to myself tonight. Are you in a rut in this life? Sometimes because of the the, the nature of life, doing what needs to be done day in and day out, going to work, doing the same thing over and over. We have a routine, don't we? Every morning when you get up out of bed, you have a routine. You follow that routine. And sometimes when you get older, you're like, did I do that? We get so comfortable with that, don't we? Did I do that? Did I turn off the coffee pot? Did I brush my teeth? Sometimes we ask ourselves that because when you get older, you're like, we're getting such a routine that we do it automatically, don't we? 
But do we find ourselves in a rut that begins to drag us down? What about spiritually tonight? Do we find the day in and day out of routine being a Christian, assuming we're doing what we should, to become a rut? You see, that's life, and it requires effort and constant renewing of the mind to stay ahead of it. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, you're very familiar with this passage. It says in verse, uh, verse 2, Be not conformed or fashioned to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Are we doing what God wants us to do on a daily basis? And if we are, how do we view that? Do we view that as, well, it's just the same old grind every day? You see, when we, when we find ourselves falling into those things, we need to rejuvenate and renew our mind. We need a new start sometimes. We need to say, oh, I've got to start doing this. I've got to start being better at this. Change something in that routine. Because I'm going to tell you, being a Christian and living the Christian life should not be a rut. It should be something that we enjoy doing. In verses 9 and 10 of Ecclesiastes 1, so there's nothing new under the sun. That which has been is that will be. That which is done is that will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Solomon has described how nature keeps working. He briefly mentions man, which will be the focus throughout this book. But nature of man has not changed. Nor will it as long as this world remains. Ever since Adam... Man has been sinful and often driven by his selfish motives. You see, you think about that. It hasn't changed. Sin is generally driven by our selfish motives. Whether to put God first or whether not to put God first. You're here to back on Sunday night at 6 o'clock to close the day out because your motives, you're motivated because you love God. You could have been selfish and said, oh, I want to go do this. But you chose not to be. Sin is often motivated by those things, or I say all the time, actually. Mankind has been rebellious against God. There's been false teachers, 2 Peter 2 and verse 1. Man still thinks the same way in general in all these types of things. You know, the Proverbs, the general sayings of about 3,000 years ago, yet they still apply today. Go spend some time in the Proverbs. Go spend some time. You know... When the scripture says, is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It, already, it has already been in ancient times before us. You look at that part of that scripture. One might say, well, what about the invention of cars and airplanes? What about computers and our technology? 
If, the, if Ecclesiastes says that it's been, been there in ancient times before us, what about the advancements in science and learning? Of course, we've seen a lot has changed in several hundreds of years, thousands of years, God, since God created Adam. But while the means have changed, we're still dealing with the same nature of man. You see, airplanes and cars are still about how to get from one point A to B. Computers and our modern education are still about communicating with each other and not necessarily for the better. Modern day appliances and conveniences are just ways of taking care of chores and tasks. And really, I think, is it, is it not interesting that even with these so-called time-saving devices, we have what? Less time now than we did before, don't we? All of these time-saving devices we've got. You see, I'm old enough to remember when the first microwave came out. <laughs> I was often told the story about when we popped popcorn. We used to pop popcorn in a, in a pot with some oil in it and some grains and kernels of popcorn, and you had to stand there and shake it. And if you didn't get it measured out just right, your lid is going to pop off and all your popcorn is going to fall out. You said there was some thought process that had to go into that. But I can remember my, my grandmother, the first time we had a big old huge microwave, it was about that big and about that big. She threw a thing of popcorn in there and popped it in, in, a, in a paper bag. I was like, good heavens. What an invention. But these time-saving devices. You see, when man supposedly comes up with new doctrine or interpretation of passage of Scripture, usually it's been said before in different words. Words, rather. The world is still against God. Men are still selfish and filled with the works of the flesh. Men are still creating gods in their own image, and there's still crime being committed, and thus the need for laws and law enforcement. You know, you finish up in verse 11, there's no remembrance of former things nor things to come. You see, the average person dies. He takes the things of this life with him. No. But these things of life are soon forgotten. Man seems to fail to learn from the past and, make, and makes the same types of mistakes and errors over and over again. But we don't have to be that way. I mentioned their doctrine. You know in the Bible when you see the word doctrine, it never has an S. Only in reference to false teachers that were teaching against Christ and, and other uh, facets and things. This morning in our Bible class in the book of Ephesians, it says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see, we have to look closely at the Bible. Any time that I study with anyone, I've told you this, we, we always establish the fact, do you believe that God in the Bible is the ultimate authority? And when we can establish that, we can move forward. Because if we, are not a, if we do not agree or we do not understand that what we find in here is what we do, there's really no further to go on or no reason to go on. This has to be the ultimate authority. It's not what my friend said. 
It's not what Mr. Matthew said. It's not what an elder said or a pastor or the Pope or whoever the case may be. It's what God said. It's that simple, isn't it? And God has a lot to say about all types of things concerning doctrine. All types of things. And just as he's put boundaries around the rivers, and just as he's had consistency in all of these things, the sun and the moon and the rain and the wind and the watering cycle and, and all of these things, God has had consistency in doctrine. He's had consistency in doctrine. There's only one doctrine. What is doctrine? The way you believe, the way, what you said, the way you do things, the way God has said to do things. There's been consistency. There's boundaries around, you know, if there's one, 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 one of all these things in the Lord's church, why do we have so many, so many different beliefs? You see, that's hard for me to understand. It's hard for me to understand. You know, in the Bible, it's, you know, it says in Mark 16 and 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. There are those people who say, you don't have to be baptized. But if I read in the scripture in the book of Mark in chapter 16 and verse 16, and it says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be condemned or damned, you see, that's pretty simple to me, isn't it? Should be to you, isn't it? That means that I, I have to be baptized. We want to be in Christ. As many of you have been baptized into Christ, have what? Put on Christ. That's what the scripture says. God has a lot of boundaries, a lot of things that he says, this, this is the boundary and you've got to stay inside of this. In our worship, we have boundaries. And what we, God has said that we can do and what God has said we cannot do in marriage. God put down what? Boundaries. Marriage, young people and older people alike, is not between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. That's not the way it is. God created one man one woman. He put them together in the Garden of, in, in the garden of Eden. He performed the first marriage ceremony. And God put down marriage when, when he says, I, I want you, when you choose that mate, you better make sure you choose the right one and get it right the first time. It's just like parenting. We only got one shot at it. <laughs> and when God says about marriage, he says, you've got to pick that right mate. You've got to pick some. I used to say, as Brother Brant uh, put out when he was here, he said, I used to say marry in the church. He said, now I'm married so, to say marry someone who loves God truly with their heart. Because not everyone in the Lord's church loves God with all their heart. God has put boundaries down when it comes to being saved in the watery grave of baptism that represents the blood. And as we are, are, are plunged into the, the blood of Christ, we come up a new man to walk a newness of life. God has put boundaries around baptism. Baptism goes back to the Greek of baptizo. You go look it up. B-A-P-T-I-Z-O. 
It's a full submersion. Baptism. God's put boundaries around those things. He's put boundaries about who can go to heaven and who cannot go to heaven. All that says to me, Lord, Lord, will not what? Inherit the kingdom. But then many will say, have we not done great things in your name and done wonderful works and all these things? I'm paraphrasing. Yes, but he that loveth the Father and doeth the will of my Father is the one who goes to heaven. You see, there's boundaries. Just as God has put boundaries and Ecclesiastes speaks to these things in life, God speaks to them in our spiritual life. I could go on and on, but I'm not. You see, boundaries are good. <clears throat> our children need boundaries. Yeah. Coming from an educator, and my wife is an educator, and there's several of you that are educators, we understand the importance of boundaries, don't we? Our, our children, our little bitty children need boundaries because they are not mature enough to set their own boundaries. Our older children, our teenagers and things, they need boundaries, they need curfews, they need a standard, they need the standard of God, but they need a parent to reinforce that standard and say, here's your boundary, this is as far as you're going to go. And when they cross that boundary, there has to be consequences, right? Yeah. You say, that's one thing in the world we don't know now. <laughs> it's consequences. Just like that in the Christian life. There's boundaries. And when we cross those boundaries, there's consequences. And it's called sin. There's, there's sin. And when we cross it, God says, I'm going to punish you. And if you don't go back inside the boundary, if you don't do what it takes to go back inside the boundary, confess those sins, James, book of James. If you don't repent those sins, the book of Luke, repent or you'll perish. If you don't go back inside those boundaries, you'll be lost. But number one, you have to be inside the boundary. Number one, you have to be in the church. You have to be in the body of Christ. So life is all about boundaries. So tonight, whatever your need may be, maybe you're inside the boundary. Maybe you need to get in the boundary. Maybe you need to get into the Lord's church. Maybe you need to study and you need to know more about what to do to be inside of what the Bible and God's Word has said for us to do. You know, I've had family that never found the right boundary. And I know you have too. The true God. And that's sad. It's that easy. It's easy through the word of God to find what his will is for us. But tonight, maybe you haven't done that and you need to. We encourage you to do that. Maybe tonight you're outside that boundary. You know, one says, what puts you outside that boundary? Well, as simple as this, sin. <laughs> Our selfish desires. Our filthy mouths sometimes. You know, I always say that. Uh, well, I hear, I hear people use profanity today just as common language. And that just really, really bothers me. You know, the, the scripture says, let your communication 
be seasoned with salt. Let it be edifying. You can't edify people if you're cussing them. <laughs> or if you're cussing, using profanity, using all the words that you know what they are. Uh, you can't do that. But you know, it always amazes me about that. But maybe you need to be in that boundary and get back inside the boundary. Our young people find themselves outside of that sometimes by the, their actions and things they say and do, places they go. You know, there's only one way back to God. If you're a Christian, there's only one way back. Confess those sins, repent, let us pray for you and with you. That's the way back. There's no other way. No other way to God but through the blood of Christ if you need to become a Christian. Tonight we encourage you to come as together we stand and as we sing.